What I wanted to do is just to briefly introduce you to what is Zen practice. And uh, I have a great predecessor doing, doing uh, um, exercises. You, you won't be needing to get up, you will be sitting down. And I just want to dispel the notion that in order to do Zazen, you have to sit cross-legged. You can do it on a chair, and that's what we are going to do now. So uh, please sit yourself comfortable. Uh, people who are sitting on the chairs, please move closer to the edge because I can show you what the problem is. If I sit like that, I'm sliding. My knees are higher than my hips. And in the, in the proper position on the chair, your hips have to be slightly higher than your, the, 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 than your knees. So, on the bench, you may try to find this uh, this, this little unevenness to, to support your, uh, your spine, yes? These, these benches are also a little bit difficult. Hopefully at home you can have something like a straight chair, shaker type chair. So what you do next, uh, Livia explained what is Hara. That, that is where our center of gravity is and that's where we will try to breathe from. Uh, I think Graham mentioned that, that for Zazen you need posture and you need breathing. There is a third element which is like balance between tension and relaxation. So with posture, sitting like we do, uh, move, move your uh, legs slightly hip width apart, plant your feet firmly on the ground. Ladies who've got high heels will be a little bit less stable, so you have a choice either take off your high heel shoes or just live with it for a few minutes. Then what you do, you try to have your spine erect. Spine cannot be straight, it has a natural curve. And your shoulders in line with your ears. Your chin doesn't stick out. It's not, it's not suppressed, just if you look straight ahead, your chin will be in the right position. Uh, what am I forgetting? I'm forgetting hands. You need to put them either like me, or you can support yourself on your, on your thighs if it's more comfortable. Then what do we do? We need to defocus our eyes so you can close them gently, or you can look maybe one meter ahead down and defocus them. Uh, we breathe through the nose and uh, the only thing I want you to do is to follow your breath for a few minutes. So it's like breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. That's all what you need to do. And do not worry if the thoughts come. Let them come, let them go. Always come to your breath. And I tell you when the time is or the metaphysical study of the nature of reality is determined by a dynamical subject-object relationship. The reality directly experienced by non-discriminating Zen mind is a dynamical field where everything is in a state of flow. 
can show or an insight into the reality is transcending the subject-object level. This experience is a total transformation on the part of the subject. Such a transformation has to make the dichotomy subject-object to disappear, since the true reality lies behind both subject and object. We can say this is a space from which both subject and object emerge in some particular form. We can name it as Zen space. The reality seen by non-discriminating Zen consciousness is a dynamical field encompassing both object and subject before they are differentiated, determining the mode, how they unfold. Zen experience is eternal, realizing universe within oneself. The content of Zen space is wholeness, oneness, not thinking about it, but being it. And that's where Zen actions and sayings orig originate from. Uh, just as an aside, the, uh, one of the great Zen masters, Bankei, talks about unborn mind. That's the mind where we rest before the thoughts arrive, before, before we are born in, in that way in, the, in physics. I see it as the ground state, which is our reference state. And any other state would be excited state with higher energy. So if we rest in the ground state, nothing is happening. Obviously, we can't stay there forever. We would die. But that's, the, that's one of the lovelies and contradictions. And on the contrary, Ordinary human consciousness gives shapes and names to objects, relationships, facts, etc. It has the subject, the observer, and object separation. It is prone to deluded thinking, but is also a space where ordinary life is conducted and sustained. Science needs a special language to describe observations, theories, and models in order to communicate the meaning. And that's quite a big difference. Although Zen also has a special language, which we don't need to get into at the moment yet. So what's the problem? What's, what, why I like to give this talk? Because I'm often asked two questions. The first one, what is Zen? And depending on my mood, I, I answer it in different ways. There's not a single definition of Zen and not one I would ever subscribe to. How can I reconcile being Zen master with being a physicist? hence hardcore scientist. And I can add the third one relevant to this conference. Does such a reconciliation lead to personal flourishing and happiness? Well, it's easier to state what Zen is rather what it is not, or the other way around. Make it all you want from it. But let, let's get some working definition, and I like to use Linsan definition of dialectic pragmatism with religious basis. Uh, we will unpick it as we go along. In the Zen teaching of Bodhidharma, the first sermon, Outline of Practice, we find that he narrows all possible approaches to practice, to enlightenment, to, uh, to just two, reason and practice. Both are path to realizations, enlightenment, sink into one's own nature and get rid of delusions. That's, that's what, the question is how. Entering by practice is to implement the Four Noble Truths, 
And this is what should follow from truly understanding and accepting these truths, and it has re distinctly religious overtones. To move on to the second question, I'd like to declare a Buddhist agnostic, as this distance is nearly fully compatible with scientific approach. What does it mean? Uh, there is a very recent book by Owen, uh, Owen Flanagan, which is called The Bodhisattva's Brain, Buddhism Naturalized. And what it means, Buddhism naturalized means Buddhism stripped of all magical elements, which are unprovable, like theories of karma, the doctrine of re uh, rebirth. And what is left? Is it, is it really something that I can still claim is Buddhism, or it's easier with Zen because Zen is truly stripped down uh, of nearly anything? Um, and uh, and, and if I start from that point, that I'm not taking any, uh, any magical elements, but only the, 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 the truth, and, and I come to, to, to that, um, I, I will address the apparent contradiction between the Zen way of life and scientific, scientific studies of nature. And if we adopt terminology of Zen as dialectic pragmatism, then it is fruitful and possible to resolve this contradiction, at least to a great extent. The discussion which, which follows is based on personal and, and experience viewpoint, personal practice and experience. So looking at, at Zen and science at each in three steps. So Zen places great emphasis on health and foundation for becoming awakened to one's true nature. The basic type of Zen practice, or Bonpu Zen in Japanese, is physiological and is suitable for everybody. That's what we've done. But you also uh, have to know that this is the Buddhist foundation of mindfulness. And if practice, it, it improves focus, mental and physical well-being. Secondly, Zen practice, if earnest, le leads to no self over time. In words of Kitaro Nishida, the great Japanese philosopher, the authentic of or true self is only realized in pure experience. It is a mode of being in the world in which ego consciousness has been negated, and the emptied self actively engages the world and others in a state of a selfless openness and radical receptivity. That's, that's uh, following Kruger. And direct experience is a, state, is a state prior to the subject-object distinction and prior to any sub subsequent cognition or analysis. And philosophers here will recognize heavy borrowing from William James' philosophy. Thirdly, Zen is stripped down Buddhism, no god, no magical or supernatural elements, hence no conflict with science. And it, I don't want to say by that that Zen is science, not at all. It's, it's just making parallels and not direct, uh, 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 direct mapping. <coughs> and mode of operation in Zen, you have dhyana, the Sanskrit for meditation. So we have essentially two big, two big domains. One is absolute samadhi, and the other is uh, positive samadhi. Positive samadhi is where we operate, ideally. It's, uh, it's we call it dynamic zen, um, the, the, the real, uh, the, the, 
They are close, but they are not identical. If we look at science in, in three steps, then uh, I, I, I would like to warn you that I don't see science as the, uh, as the coherent unit. It's extremely fragmented. That's why the direct comparison is, is nearly impossible. But I would like to quote J John Zyman. His book on real science is really worth at least uh, skimming through. To take part in science, one has to know its maps and models. To be a physicist, for example, one has to learn to think physically. A scientific observer perceives, interprets, and talks about the world in the light of her special experience and knowledge. Observation is laden with theory. New facts only become visible against old expectations. Secondly, theory of everything, which would be unifying all subsciences, observation theories to picture reality truthfully, is not a meaningful context, uh, concept. And this is because if you think of mapping everything like, like cartographers do, in order to map the universe, we would, uh, we would need the map of the size of the universe, which is obviously not feasible. However, uh, progress in scientific instrumentation, technologies, and theories informs the current state of knowledge and brings about new understanding. So it's not standing still. So true science develops. It, uh, it takes new facts and it revises the old theories. And that's why there is the, the, the comfortable parallel with Zen where everything also is dynamic and changing. Mode operation of science, according to me, would be like work. Uh, on one hand, we have planning, learning, doing, and reflecting. And then we, are, we have action in the way of flow. The, I'm, I'm not, refer, not referring to go with the flow, but I'm referring to the psychological theory of Chikan Mihaly, where everything, when we get involved in, in that. So I'm going to finish as, as I'm sort of prompted by somebody. <laughs> so the, the, the common platform here is the search for meaning. So in, um, in Zen, we have, we have a great question, which is the or great doubt or wonder, great trust and great perseverance. And in science, we also have great question or curiosity, great trust and validity of scientific inquiry, great perseverance. And I just finish on, on Zen as the great doubt, the question of the great doubt is very personal. Without rousing it, there will be no enlightenment. And this question is formulated in different ways. For example, the first koan, who am I? is given rouse to this doubt. But for others, it takes a form of a question where I come from and where I go after death, for example. For me, this question was, what is beyond life and death, <coughs> which put me firmly on the way. Great trust is that the way is the right one. It supports us and leads, however, non-linearly to the awakening. Great perseverance is a is an obvious requirement. And you can find parallel in your own scientific activity. <laughs>